Well, good morning, church. Good to see you. My name is Phil Shields. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. So I want to welcome you here in the building. Glad that you chose to worship with us. And if you are worshiping with us online, so glad that you are with us. If this is your first time, second time, if you're checking things out here at Wheaton Bible Church, we're so glad that you chose to check us out right now. Uh, we are a church, just to tell you a little bit uh, about us, we're a church and a congregation that is uh, basically diving into God's word, desiring and learning to love God, love one another, love our neighbor and love the nations as best as we can. And one of the ways that we do that is by allowing the word of God to drill into our life and to transform our thinking, our minds, and our hearts. And so that's our prayer for us, and that we would continue to pursue that um, all the days of our life. So I want to, I prayed earlier, I want to ask you to uh, continue praying uh, for Pastor Hannibal and Kyle and Bill Oberlin and one of our elders, Josh Gary. They are uh, in Albania right now and they will be going to Greece here shortly, but be praying for them and their journey. They're meeting with a bunch of our ministry partners, and we'll soon be back uh, to tell us a bunch of stories, but you can follow their journey on our social feed. So if you haven't subscribed there, you can kind of see what they're doing and, and check out what's happening there. Well, we are continuing in this Matthew series, and we're actually finishing a section uh, that we have titled The King Like No Other. And so next week, we're going to be starting a new section of Matthew. And so I want to encourage you, when you come in next week, look for the tables in the atrium, and you'll see the stickers. You can get your new sticker for the cover of your book uh, and, and get that there. I also want to tell you, if you are new to our church and uh, you don't have one of the journals, we have placed another order. Those will be coming in, so check at the desk next week and you can grab one of those journals. So last week, Hannibal finished with Matthew 15 and we saw Jesus performing this incredible miracle of feeding the 4,000 and how Jesus had compassion on people and loved them incredibly well. And he did that in a territory that was not Jewish territory. He had compassion on people that did not live within the Jewish territory, and he performed this miracle. And now we're going to get into 12 verses that uh, Jenny just read for us, where Jesus has now re-entered Jewish territory. And he is going to deal with religious leaders and uh, the Jewish people, and he's going to be teaching them. And so as we dive into this, I want you to know right at the beginning, I believe there's a principle that was taught in this text that, to the disciples, but it's really for us today as well. And the principle is simply this. The influences of your heart will determine the foundation of your faith in Jesus. The influences of your heart, whatever is influencing your heart, will determine the foundation of your faith in Jesus. Now we're going to look at it and influences through three different types of influences. We're going to look at prideful influence, then we're going to take a look at circumstantial influence, and then we're going to look and end with promised influence. 
So let's go on this journey together and let's start with prideful influence. A couple of years ago, uh, there was a new series that started streaming on the, the streaming service of Hulu. And as it was being put together, uh, critics were, were looking at this and, and what they found was one of the most unexpected partnerships when it came to actors. The name of the series is called Only Murders in the Building. Maybe you've seen it. The main characters are played by Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. For some of you, you're going, who's Selena Gomez? And so I'm going to tell you, you are not in touch with society, if that's the case. But Selena Gomez was like a childhood star on the Disney Channel. She's a 30-year-old actress. And here she is placed with these two iconic comedic actors that have been around since the 60s. And critics were saying, how will this partnership go? Uh, can this really mix? They're, they come from so many different eras. How will this work? And what ended up happening is uh, Only Murders in the Building became an incredible success for Hulu by TV standards. And so this partnership took place and, and it's grown and they've had several seasons. And you might be going, why are you talking about this? Well, it's because whenever you look at the partnership of these, uh, of these actors, what you end up realizing is that there are partnerships throughout all of history that should not have happened, but they came together and they pursued something and it worked. And it worked because they were pursuing a similar goal and so they set some of their beliefs or the way they do things aside so they could accomplish something. Well, that's exactly what we see in Matthew 16. We see an unexpected partnership take place in, in Matthew 16. We see it right at the beginning. In the first verse, it says, The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. And so as soon as Jesus returns to Jewish territory, he ends up being confronted by this unexpected partnership that are there to confront him with a demand. We see the demand right at the beginning. Now this is coming off of the, the feeding of the 4,000 and this incredible miracle that happens in, in chapter 15. There's a good chance that word has probably started to spread of what took place. And so as soon as he lands in Jewish territory, these religious leaders are going to go after him. Now the reason this is an unexpected partnership is because the Pharisees were the religious leaders that were traditionalists and, and basically legalists to the law that was given to Moses. And so that's how they kind of, they, they ended up teaching people and, and operating as the religious leaders for Jewish society. But then there's this other group, the Sadducees. And this is the first time in, in the Gospel of Matthew that we see the Sadducees become part of the scene that's taking place. Now, Sadducees are an interesting group. They're a group that isn't traditional by any means. They're, they're the liberal group. 
they, uh, they look at things and they believe that the kingdom of God isn't going to be set up on earth. And they didn't believe in the, the truth of the resurrection. In fact, they didn't even believe that angels existed. And so you have this traditionalist, legalistic group, this liberal group, and they form this partnership. And it's a partnership that is going to work really well because they are going to have the common pursuit of stopping Jesus from teaching, of, of trying to stop Jesus from gaining followers. And they're going to take the steps together to eventually kill him. That's why they, they came together. Now, these two groups also believe something really, really strong at the same time. And that was simply that what they believed and their thoughts on Jesus were the, were the truth. They held to that, that how they viewed Jesus was exactly the way it was supposed to be. And what's crazy is that both these groups saw Jesus performing miracles, they heard Jesus' teaching, they saw Jesus' compassion for people. They saw the way that, that he dealt with those that were hurting and in need. And the entire time they looked at it, and even though truth was right in front of them, they were blind. They didn't see the truth that was standing there. And they were blind because of something that was at the root of their hearts. Now notice what uh, the way verse 1 starts. It says uh, that they tested Jesus. Now here's something important for us to understand. It is not a sin to ask God for signs of assurance to the promises that he has made. That isn't a sin. There's times that I would imagine in our life that we are asking God to give us a sign to assure us of the promises that he's made to us. But the sin that takes place is that they end up asking for him to basically give a sign to demand that God prove himself. That is the sin. And they're doing it, they're asking this so that they make this evil request, not from hearts that are seeking Jesus to, to know him. They're making it because they want God to satisfy their desires instead of them satisfying God's. And so they bring this evil demand. Now what's interesting is that whenever you look at the, this text in the Greek, what you end up seeing is that the word that's found in verse 1 is this word tested. But if you were to jump back and go to Matthew 4 verses 1 through 11, you would see the same word. See in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, what you end up seeing is that Jesus goes into the wilderness and Satan meets him there. And it says that Satan tempted Jesus. That word that's used when Satan tempts Jesus is the same word that's used whenever the Pharisees and Sadducees are testing them. And what is happening is Matthew is writing this and basically telling us that what the, the religious leaders are doing is at the same level of evilness that Satan did in Matthew 4. 
These are the, the men that are supposed to be teaching the people how to follow God. And now they're compared to Satan himself. See, what, what is happening here is, is that Matthew's pointing this out, that this is a great, horrible, evil act. And we have to see that as sinful. Now, remember, this is coming right off of the feeding of the 4,000. So there was a sign that had already taken place. But then Jesus responds to them. And look at how he responds. He says, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. So what Jesus is pointing out is that you can look at the sky and you can predict the weather. You can tell by the way that the sky looks what is coming and how to know. Is it going to rain? Is it not going to rain? What's the day going to be like? And you can look at that. But what he is then also saying is that you're looking at that and you could do it, but you have truth right in front of you and you can't tell that the kingdom of heaven has come. That the ushering of the kingdom that Jesus brings in is right in front of them. So they have signs every day, but they are blind to what is happening. So he says they're a wicked and adulterous generation. That the only sign given to them will be the sign of Jonah. Now, when uh, Hannibal was going through this with our team on who was going to preach what, for some reason, and I feel like he's uh, sending really a, a hard message to me, is that he had me preach the other place in Matthew where the sign of Jonah shows up. So I feel like he's trying to tell me, like, Phil, you better start paying attention. So we're going to look at the sign of Jonah again. So back uh, last year, whenever I preached on this uh, topic, what we ended up having to do is we had to look at what was the story of Jonah. You probably know it. Jonah's told to go to the Ninevites. He doesn't want to go. He tries to run away from God. And so he gets on a boat. And as the boat is, is there, a storm comes, and the men finally say, what have you done? And Jonah says, throw me overboard. And he gets thrown overboard, and a large fish swallows him. And he's alive for three days and three nights in the belly of this fish. Eventually, he's spit out to the shores of Nineveh, and he goes there, and what does he do? He does what God asked him to do, to go and preach the truth. And that was a, a truth of judgment. And what happens is the Ninevites surrender to God. And so God's going to spare their lives. What's funny is the prophet of God is so ticked off at God that he's sparing them that he, he even complains, why would you even spare the Ninevites? And so what is interesting is that Jonah never went and performed any sign. You don't ever see him uh, performing any miracle. 
And what Jesus is saying is the sign of Jonah is simply that Jonah was the sign. He was the one that spent, he, his life was thrown into the abyss. The, the fish swallowed him three days and three nights and his life was given back to him to present the truth to others. And so Jesus says, the only sign that will come will be the greater Jonah. And the greater Jonah is Jesus himself. He is the sign for the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And this is what takes place then. And so what we have to look at is, what is the religious leader's problem? I mean, you need to understand, these aren't stupid men. They're not dumb. These were some of the highest intellectual men in society. They had some of the biggest education. They were brilliant in many ways. And yet, they're blind to the truth that is standing right in front of them. And so these blind men immediately jump on the opportunity to test Jesus. And what we find is that the root of their heart is pride. Prideful influence. See, Jesus threatens their religious power. He threatens their, their fame. He threatens their intellect. He threatens the, the, the following that the ha they have. He threatens the way that they have always thought about the law. And because of their pride, they want to stand strong in that. And that influence was going to make them take steps that would be catastrophic to their souls. Friends, the pride that you are allowing to sprout in the small areas of your life will eventually take over the large areas of your life. The pride that you deal with day in and day out is going to grab a hold of you. See, you're going to want to view Jesus on your terms rather than on his, just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And what we have to understand is that our pride, our pride isn't helping us know the promised king. Only humble faith will do that. And so we have to take uh, care of the areas in our life where pride is seeping in, where we're trying to control so much. And so Jesus deals with these leaders, and then the text says he left them. We're not told that anything else takes place. He left them and they missed out on the truth that was standing right in front of them. And what we find is that prideful influence leads you to blindness, leads you to arrogance, and eventually missing out on the grace that is before you. So prideful influence is involved in our life, just like these religious leaders. And the question is, is how are you and I dealing with it? So the next part then goes to circumstantial influence. 
With circumstantial influence, we see this new scene that comes upon. Jesus leaves the religious leaders. They go to another area, and Jesus is now with his disciples. And you end up seeing in verse 5, this is what it says. It says, when they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. So they get to the other side of what is believed to be the Sea of Galilee. And as they get there, this is a rural area. It's an area where there's not a lot of, of traders or people to get supplies for food. And so they get there and the disciples realize we don't have any bread. Now, I want you to stop for one moment and flip your page in your journal or your Bible just one page back. And I want you to go to chapter 15. Because we have to remember something. If you look at verse 37, this is what the truth of Scripture says. It says, they all ate, all 4,000 ate and were satisfied. Afterward, who? The disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Now, this is where we have to ask the question. How in the world did you forget bread? Like, how is this happening? You just saw this incredible miracle, and you got baskets, you filled it up. How did you not take what was in those baskets, put them in your sacks, and then go with Jesus further so that you had it all in there? And here's the thing. If you are a woman in here, and you're reading this, you're going, because you left it up to 12 men. And that's probably true, okay? But chapter 16 is right on the heels. It's like immediately right after this, they get to this place and they have no bread. Now Jesus looks at this opportunity and he says, this is the, the prime time to teach. And look at what he says in verse 6. Be careful, Jesus said. Be on your guard against the yeast or leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He's saying, be careful of what they teach. In, in chapter 13, verse 33, Jesus uses the, the uh, metaphor of yeast or leaven there, and he uses it in a positive light. It's actually different than the way that it was usually used. It was usually a negative metaphor, but there he uses it in a positive way. Now here he's using it in a negative way. I don't know if you know the name Alexei Navalny. There's a, an incredible documentary that just came out about Navalny. He was a growing influence in Russia. Navalny... Uh, had, he was this uh, political icon that was growing a lot of uh, influence in the country. People were coming to, to hear him speak, and he was this uh, confrontational political leader. Many people's hopes was that in the, the next election that Navalny would end up winning the election and overthrow Putin. He ended up, uh, every Thursday, he would have a YouTube show, and he would confront the government of Russia on that show. And so people in Russia were flocking to his side of things. 
But then in August of 2020, his life radically changed. He was in one area of Russia, and they were filming some videos, getting out to his supporters, and he gets on an airplane, commercial uh, airline, and there's video of this, of him in the back of the airplane, screaming and moaning in incredible pain. They believe that what took place is that um, the poison Novacek was used on him. They believe that it was uh, basically sprinkled onto his clothing and he put his clothing on and eventually it seeped in through his skin. What's fascinating with this uh, poison and what took place is that this poison ends up going after the, the nervous system. And so it slowly starts to shut down one by one each of your nervous systems until you eventually die. And then when people do an autopsy or look at it, the poison disappears and people think that you just died from natural cause. Well, Navalny, he, he made it through. He survived. And so he... This uh, documentary tells more of his story, and right now, Navalny's in a penal colony in Russia right now in prison. You might be going, why in the world are you talking about poison in church? It's because the disciples are told to be careful and on guard against a substance that is so small and really Incredibly hard to even detect that it's there. And he's saying, be on guard against it. This, this small thing of yeast or, or leaven has a subtle but extreme effect on things. And so Jesus is saying, he starts this statement and the disciples end up looking at it in a very comical way and they're like, he knows we forgot the bread. And they're like, well, this is what it has to do with. See, they're so preoccupied with the circumstance that, they, that they're blind or they're missing the truth that Jesus is trying to teach them. They're, they're, they're so involved in this circumstantial influence that it's making them act like the disciples of the Pharisees and Sadducees instead of a disciple for Christ. And so what Jesus is saying is these small little things are going to get in and they're like a poison. And they're going to start to permeate your life. And so you need to be on guard against false teachers. See, they just didn't forget the seven basketfuls of leftovers, they forgot who they were traveling with. The circumstances have distracted them so much that the spiritual side of their life is forgotten. The circumstance has become bigger and they're focused on the need that they have instead of who they are walking with. They forget that they have the promised king in their midst. Friends, your circumstances have tremendous influence on you. 
It has the, the influence to make you forget. It has the influence to make that circumstance seem bigger than the Savior that we have been worshiping today. We forget that he can handle things and that he wants to come and meet with us and meet our needs and transform our lives and walk through every circumstance with us. But circumstantial influence has the the tremendous subtle effect to blind us and make us forget who Jesus is. See, what the Pharisees and Sadducees are teaching is very, very dangerous. And it still happens today. What's interesting is that not only were the Sadducees the liberals, the Sadducees were the ones that had made peace with Rome. And so they were allowing the Roman influence, the world, to come in and to influence what they believed and what they taught. Well, guess what? (laughs) That hasn't changed. You and I have the world's influence surrounding us and constantly trying to communicate what its truth is rather than the eternal truth of Jesus Christ. Friends, the influences of your heart will determine the foundation of your faith in Jesus. What circumstance right now is influencing you? What's impacting you? What's it doing to how you view the promised king, the promised Messiah? Are you able to sing all these songs that we just sang on his faithfulness? Are you able to sing those with a heart that's saying, yep, you got it, God. You got it. And I'm going to trust in that. Or is your circumstance taking over? So we see this prideful influence. We see the circumstantial influence. And it leads us to promised influence. I want you to see what verse 4 and verse 9 and 10 say. It says, A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Do you still not understand Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how how many basketfuls you gathered? Jesus is pointing out to the disciples and he pointed out to the Pharisees that influence is going to be continual in our lives. We can't get away from it. But the question is, is what is influencing you? What is impacting you? Now, Jesus ends up telling to the religious leaders that the only sign you're going to have is the sign of Jonah. And he says it to them in a negative way, like you have been blind. You're only going to get the sign of Jonah. But for us today, the sign of Jonah is a beautiful sign because it's the sign of a risen Savior. It's the sign of Jesus who came to dwell among us, who went to a cross, who died and spent three days in a tomb, but shattered that tomb and came out of it. Who said, I bring grace and mercy. It's a promised influence into our life because Jesus is our sign for truth. 
He's your sign in the circumstances that you are living in. He is the gracious sacrifice for us and it influences our hearts. It touches our mind and it should move us towards a faith that is living in action for the kingdom of, of heaven. That's what disciples of Jesus are to be about. What's amazing is that the religious leaders, they wanted more evidence the disciples forgot who Jesus was and what he had done with like so little and yet he fed the, the masses. When you think about it, the less that the disciples had, the more Jesus could do. I know whatever's going on in your life probably feels incredibly heavy. But it's small for the promised king. Because he can do almighty, eternal things with something so small. So Jesus is saying to us, don't forget who I am. Don't forget that God keeps his covenant promise and that promise was a promised king for a kingdom of heaven. And so what he's saying is that many of us in here have now faith. Meaning we have strong faith right now. But he's saying for disciples to flourish, you need to remember, you need to look back. You need to build off of past faith so that your now faith can flourish, so that when things come in, you can look to the future and you can have a future faith saying, I know who wins in the end. So that we are disciples that have this foundation of faith that is built on the life and death of Jesus Christ. See, the problem with the leaders and the disciples is that they fall into wanting more, of Je more than Jesus or they, they want more from Jesus than what he offers. And what we need to see is that Jesus is enough. That we are disciples that say Jesus is enough. May we not be people that want something more acceptable than Jesus or want something more dynamic than his death on the cross. May we not want something more relevant than the resurrection because immature faith wants more of the wrong things and we've already been seeing who the truth is. Jesus promises to be there in the midst of our circumstances, to walk with us and to transform our lives. Now what's interesting is that Jesus, uh, in this text, it never says that Jesus performed a miracle. It actually ends. It just says that then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So like I kind of leave going, so were they still hungry? But I think when it says they understood, they realized who was in their midst. 
that Jesus is enough. See, we were promised a king. And we were promised a savior. And that promise was fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ. And so I want you and me to be people that trust in promised influence more than anything else. In Isaiah chapter 9, you probably read this over within the last month. It says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The promised king has come. That is who we worship. And that is who we are to trust in, in the midst of every circumstance, in every influential message that comes into our mind. That we are to remember the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the prince of peace has come. Are you influenced by him? Are you trusting in him? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you, Father, that you are a God who comes and wants to deal with our lives and wants to work within our lives. And so I pray, Lord, that uh, for my church family here, for myself, that we would be people that recognize the prideful influence that wants to invade our life and deal with it today. Lord, if there is a circumstance that is invading our mind and taking us away from the truth that you are the promised king, the promised Messiah that has come to deal with the world. I pray that you would invade our mind, help us to see the truth, that you're willing to be in the midst of our circumstance. I pray that you would guide us, Lord. And I pray that we would be a community of disciples that are constantly transformed and influenced by you so that we can be part of your kingdom work today, tomorrow, and all the days of our life. Lead us in that. It's your name I pray. Amen.